Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. <clears throat> Come on, I said good morning, Emmanuel Church. <clears throat> Anybody excited to be in church today? I hope that you are. I know it's freezing cold outside. Was it 16 degrees this morning here in central Indiana? Does anybody like that? Why do we live here? <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm going to count how many times I say that to you throughout the winter. Why do we live here? It's so cold. Hey, if you're watching us from somewhere else other than central, central Indiana, like, uh, I don't know, Sarasota, Florida, we hate you. We do. <laughs> No, we don't hate you. We love you. We love our microsite there. In fact, can we give it up to all of our first-time guests at all of our locations? Amen. Even those of you in Sarasota, Florida, we, we do love you. Hey, if you're not brand new with us here today, welcome back. We're closing up a series today called Excel. We got the idea from this series right out of a text in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And I just want to jump right back into that text. By the way, for those of you who are brand new, this is our series we do once a year on money, finances, generosity. Uh, so if you're a guest with us here today, you can kind of, you know, just sit this one out, be an observer. If you want to include your you can, but this is for those of us who call Emmanuel home. So we're going to jump right in and look at what Paul tells the church in Corinth. He says, but since you excel, that's where we got the name of this series, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness or enthusiasm and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this generous grace of, or this act of what? Of giving, of giving. Sometimes my coach at halftime, when I used to play basketball, he would, he would get us in the locker room and he'd say, hey, okay, we're doing fine you know, on shooting, we're, we're sliding our feet on defense, you know, our passing is okay, but we're getting killed on the boards. We're not boxing out. Anybody ever coach ever, ever do that, right? We're doing fine here, we're doing fine here, we're doing fine here, but man, we're getting beat on the boards. We've got to box out. It's sort of what Paul is doing here. He's like, you guys are doing fine with your speeches and your knowledge and enthusiasm and your love in each other, but you're lagging behind on, this, on the issue of generosity. In this particular context in 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to raise money for a group of really poor Christians in the city of Jerusalem, and he's trying to encourage them to give as much as they can to bless the poor believers right in that city. See, the reason why he was encouraging them is because they were lagging behind and they needed some coaching. They needed some encouragement. They needed some inspiration. Why do we need some encouragement and inspiration on this issue of giving, on the issue of generosity? In your notes, if you're taking notes today, grab your pens. Here's why, because generosity doesn't come naturally. We're naturally what? Selfish, say it again, we're naturally selfish, at least you could admit it, right? We come out of the womb selfish, right? A couple of years after we're born, we say the first word, mine. <laughs> you thought some of you were like, mommy. No, it's not mommy, it's mine. Okay, maybe it's mommy. Maybe it's daddy. But then shortly after that, 
kids are saying, hey, that's mine. We're grasping. We're thinking of ourselves, right? And today we live in the selfie world, the Instagram world, where everybody's taking a picture of their stupid face. <laughs> I'm telling you, a decade from now, all you people who love to take pictures of your faces, you're going to be thinking, what was I thinking? Because you're going to see it all. It's like all you see in your phone are pictures of your face. Was I really that self-centered? Yes, you were. That's the generation we live in today. We are naturally selfish people. And so we don't want to give, I don't want to give my money to you. I want to give my money to me. Because that's, that's what is natural. So we need to be encouraged to actually think beyond ourselves, to take care of ourselves, yes, but then to think about those around us who are in need. And so we talked last week about some ideas that could help us to learn to excel in generosity. There's joy at stake, there's favor at stake, there's transformation at stake. And if you missed that last week, you can go back and grab that and watch that. Today I wanna to talk to you about a couple more ideas on how that can help us to really excel. These ideas have really helped me and many, many others to, to take steps towards becoming a more generous person. You taking, you're ready to take notes today? Yes? All right, we're excited. Number one, if you want to take notes, God owns all the money. You want to excel in generosity? You have to believe in your heart that God owns all the money. You say, does the Bible teach that? Absolutely. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Does that include your money? <laughs> does that include your assets? If you own real estate, does that include your real estate? If you own stocks and bonds and mutual funds, does that include those too? Does it include your body, your mind, your brain, your hands, your feet, your eyes? Yes, God owns everything. The world and all the people that belong, all the people in the world, they belong to him. God is the owner. He owns it all. Psalm 89, 11. I taught this one to my kids when they were very small. The heavens belong to you as does the earth. You made the world and all that it contains. All that's in it. God is the owner of everything. Now, if that's true about God, then what's true about you and me? That's a great question. If God owns it all, that means that you and I are at best his stewards. You are a steward. And you might be thinking, now what's a steward? A steward is simply a money manager. In fact, in his fantastic little book called The Treasure Principle, if you want to go deeper into this issue of stewardship and finances and generosity, you can pick up Randy Alcorn's book. It's like a 30-minute read. He talks about what a steward is in this book. He defines it like this. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. That's what you are. And that's what I am. Money comes into our accounts. Money comes into our life. Our assets come into our life. And we check with the owner of the assets and we say to him, what would you like me to do with your stuff? How would you like me to disperse the money that you own? The money that you've entrusted me to steward. And I'm so thankful today that when you open up the Bible, generally speaking, God says to you and I, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take 90% of it and use it for food and clothing and shelter and transportation, and education and fun stuff and some things that you like and some things that you want. And then I want you to take 10% of it, it's called a tithe, and I want you to return it back to the church so the church can take the gospel to the world. Aren't you glad God doesn't say, give me 30%? He says, just give me 10. You can keep 90, live off 90. So for 23 years, 
My wife and I have, taking, have been taking 10% of what God gives us and we've been returning it to Emmanuel Church so that we can launch campuses and go to Banta and go to Franklin and go to Garfield Park and do this and help people in Rwanda, help people in Haiti, help people all over the world. And I've been encouraging you to do the same thing because that's what the owner of the assets tells us to do. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, I don't buy that. You see, Danny, what's true about my money is that I earned it. I go to work every day and I teach those classes. I go to work every day and I make those sales. I go to work every day and I, I, I'm the one who puts the sheetrock up. I'm the one who watches the kids. I'm the one that does the work with my hands, my energy, my eyes, my feet, my brain. I'm the one earning the money. It doesn't belong to God. It belongs to me. I, I, and I can empathize with that. I really can. But you're wrong. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt after 400 years of slavery, God opens up the promised land for them. Remember, parts of the Red Sea. They're getting ready to go in and set up their homes and you know all this stuff. Basically, they settling in and God's telling them, hey, 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 as you, you know, settle into the promised land and build your homes and create a lifestyle for you and build your culture, don't forget that I was the one who delivered you from the Egyptians. And then he tells them not to forget one more thing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Remember, remember, do not forget that I am the Lord your God and I am the one who gives you, say it with me, the Ability to produce wealth. You say, the money's mine because I'm the one that teaches the classes. I'm the one that makes the sales. I'm the one that runs the business. I'm the one that does this. I'm the one that goes in and works with my hands. And I get it. I get it. But who gave you hands? Who gave you a mind to think a mouth to teach. I'm standing up in front of you here speaking right now. I'm putting all my heart and my soul and my energy and I'm using my mind and my mouth to preach this sermon. And through preaching, I earn a living. But who gave me the very strength to stand here in front of you and talk and put sentences together and paragraphs together and ideas together? Who did that? Is it me? Or do I, this body, this brain, this mind, this mouth, does it all belong to God? He's the one that gives us the ability to do what? To produce wealth. It all belongs to him. You, my friends, are at best a steward of the assets in your bank account or in your wallet. And, we, and when you understand that, and when that idea clicks, now your job is to check with the owner who owns it all and say, what would you like me to do with the assets that you have put under my care? And when you ask that question with all of your heart, not thinking you're an owner but a steward, resources begin to leave your hands and your accounts to bless other people. But if you act like an owner, you are always going to struggle with generosity. Making sense, yes or no? That's the first idea. Let me give you the second idea. You want to excel in generosity, you have to dethrone money out of your heart. See, here's what's true about you, and here's what's true about me. You are a little worshiper. You are. You're designed to worship. You're created to worship. You do worship every day. What does worship mean? mean it means that you attribute ultimate value to something. And you put that something in the center of your life and you orient your life around it and you call it supreme and you organize your time around it and your affections around it. That's what worship is. Now, you're designed to worship God. The problem is we are little idolaters. Instead of worshiping God and putting God on the throne of our heart, you know what we do? We put things like stuff 
shoes, handbags, cars, houses, sex on the throne of our heart. And we worship those things. You know what the number one temptation is for people to worship? Money. It's the number one thing. Above sex, above materialism, above power, above reputation, above fame, above force. It is money. And here's why. Money makes some audacious claims. At least our world takes money. See, money's passive. Like money doesn't, money doesn't have a voice, but our world gives it a voice, right? Money doesn't do anything. It does something when it enters your hands. If it does something good or does something bad. But the Bible doesn't say money is the love, money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Are you with me? So money is passive until it enters your hands. And so our world tells us that when you get some money, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become somebody. You're going to become significant. You're going to become important. You're going to become valuable. If you want to be someone, you have to have lots of money. In other words, money, at least our world tells us, attempts to answer the questions of the soul. Who am I? Am I valuable? What is my place in this world? If I want to be someone significant, I have to have lots of money. Have you heard this? Have you felt this? Yes or no? The only problem is money can't do that. In fact, when you look to money to answer the questions of your soul, it breaks your heart. You remember back in 2008 when everybody lost their money? Did you lose your money in 2008? A lot, of, a lot of rich people lost their money in 2008. And you know what some of them did? Because they lost their money? They took their own lives. They committed suicide. It was pretty shocking to watch. It didn't happen once, twice, three times. It happened a whole bunch of times. Lots of people in Wall Street killed themselves. There's a big guy, big car, a car dealer. He lost a lot of money. He, looked, he killed himself. How could, how could people get to that point? Here's how. They take their net worth, their money, and they try to answer the questions of their soul with that money, and then they lose the money, and then they lose their value, and they lose their purpose, and they lose their image, so life becomes meaningless, and they kill themselves. We could do this with a boyfriend or girlfriend. I've heard of many stories of people breaking up with a girlfriend, breaking up with a boyfriend in college, in high school, and killing themselves over it. What happened? What happened? They put that person on the throne of their heart. You with me? Money can never answer the questions of your soul. Because ultimately, one day, you're going to separate from that money. It's this thing called death. But boy, does it try to answer. It also tries to answer the questions of life, the purpose of life, the meaning of life, but it can never do that. Money, money, can't, money can do many things. Listen, it can provide a car, transportation, gasoline in your car, which is very expensive today. <laughs> it can provide housing, it can provide clothing, food for your family. Like it has its functions and it is important. In fact, it's up there with oxygen. Would you agree? You just try to live a few days without money. It's tough. So we need it and it has functions, but, it, but the functions are limited. Money can, do you know money can never heal your mind or your emotions? Oh, but we try. If money could do that, we'd still have Robin Williams with us. But he committed suicide. If money could heal the body, and many people think it does, it cannot. It can to a, to a limit. We would still have Steve Jobs with us today. But he died of cancer. He had more money than all of us combined. And he could not find a cure for his pancreatic cancer. And he died. See, money, money it's like it, it has its functions. And then it falls short. 
And that's why we have to dethrone it from our lives because it cannot save our souls and it cannot speak to you the core questions of the soul, which is exactly why Jesus said these words. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, you can't have two gods at the same time. And then Jesus says this, you cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. You're going to fall in love with one and you're going to cast out the other. If it's God, then he takes the throne of your life and you put money in its proper place. But if it's money and money takes the throne of your heart, you push God out and you cling to money and you grasp money. And the last thing on your mind is giving any of it away. You see that? But when you put God in the throne of your heart and you put money in its proper place, it becomes your servant. See, here, 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 I heard somebody say it like this. Money is a horrible God, but it is a significant, wonderful servant. Why? Because it meets your needs, and then it meets the needs of those around you. You want to be generous. You want to excel in generosity. You want to quit the greed and the selfishness. You have to dethrone money out of your heart. This is tough, tough preaching, but is it not needed? Yes or no, in our culture today. So, what did we say? Number one, God owns it all. We're, we're his steward. We're his money manager. Number two, we've got to dethrone money. Let me give you this third idea. We have to know what a good investment is. How many of you have met with a financial advisor before? Jackie and I have done this several times. The financial advisor comes in and he, he begins by saying, okay, where do you want to be when you're 55, 65? You know, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? And, 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 and then they back up and they try to look at some, some, some investments that will help you to get there, which is, which is very wise advice. And we did that years ago and they, we were told to put money in this 403B for the you know, uh, mutual funds and we did that. We were told to think, look at real estate and so we did that. And, and so it was you know, very, very good advice. And in fact, if you're in your 20s, Man, you need to meet with someone and you need to think about mutual funds and, and, and make wise investments so that when you're 55, 65, you're not eating Alpo out of, a, out of a can. You know what I mean? That's Dave Ramsey's joke, but Alpo's dog food. If you, anyway. <laughs> but typically when you meet with a financial advisor, that's where the advice ends. It ends because their advice is given through the perspective that this life is all there is. But what if this life isn't all that there is? What if, what if you live forever? What if you're eternal? What kind of a financial advice is good if that's true? Years ago, I listened to Dallas Willard in a sermon, uh, one of my favorite authors, not a very good speaker, but a great author, <laughs> Divine Conspiracy, Renovation of the Heart, if you, could, if, you, if you want to read, those are two really good ones. But Dallas, in a talk, in a sermon, he would sometimes put people to sleep in his sermons, but they were still really good. He made this statement. He said, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And I was like, Whew. You ever had that moment where you're listening to an idea or something? It's just like something grabs you like... Dallas said, this is the most important thing about you. And then he repeated himself and he said, hey, I'm about to repeat this statement. And as I repeat this, I want you to open up your heart and open up your mind. And I want you to just, just receive these words, if you, if you will, if you can, as the most important thing about you as a person. 
And then he did it. And I did it. I closed my eyes and he, he repeated this statement. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And my life changed. Because what happened is I, I started to look beyond my short life on this earth and I began to think way past that into eternity. See, the time that we spend here on earth is a blip. It's a blip. It's 65 years, 55 years, 75 years. Some of us get 45 years. Some of us get... I met a lady the other day. She was 96. She's lucky. Not many people make it to 96. I said, what's your secret? And she said, Jesus. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I'm a preacher, you know what I mean? It's like, I get the Sunday school answer, Jesus, but like, what do you eat every day? You know, I want some information. Give <laughs> me something real, you know? <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> but even in 96, that's a blip. If you are an eternal being, you're going to live forever. Can you just let that sink in for a second? Living forever? We're so afraid of death. What is death? Jesus said, nobody dies. If you believe in me, you don't die. You just pass over into the next life. Wow. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Okay, well, if that's true, which it is, what is a good investment through that lens? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter three. He said, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. See, a lot of us think we're citizens of the United States and we are, and maybe you're a citizen of another country and you are, but that's only true for a certain period of time and it's over. Your true citizenship is where? In, say it with me, in heaven, where Jesus lives and we eagerly wait for him to return and do what? Set up the eternal kingdom where you will live forever. Your citizenship is in heaven. If that is true, then what is a wise financial investment? Well, it's a great question and I'm so glad that you asked. Jesus actually answered this question in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that? Listen to what he said, Matthew chapter six. Don't store up treasures here on earth. I mean, take care of yourselves, transportation, shelter, clothing, food. That's fine. God wants you to take care of yourself. But then once all your needs are met, don't continue to hoard. That's foolish. Why? Because there's moths that come in and rust destroys stuff. Thieves come in and break, break in and they steal. In other words, that investment is, is shaky. It's unwise. It's subject to corruption. It will not last. You'll leave it behind. Have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Have you? No, you take it all. You leave it all here. You know, I, I love shoes. In fact, I got a new pair on today. And they're not coming with me. Can you say that to your stuff? It's all even. I got a bunch of really good Michael Jordan cards. Oh, man, I got some Michael Jordan cards. They're all staying here. Going to my kids, whoever, whatever, selling them, whatever. Nothing's coming with me. It's all, it's all temporary. So instead of investing all your time and money here on earth, what does Jesus say? Instead, I want you to store up treasures in, say it with me, in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves don't break in 
and steal. Now, we all understand what it means to hoard stuff here on earth and try to store up treasures in heaven, jewelry and purses and shoes and cars and houses and all that stuff. Okay, so that we get that. But what does an investment into heaven look like? I'm not so sure. Well, Paul actually answered that question in 1 Timothy. He's talking to a bunch of Christians who have extra. They have everything that they need and they have some extra. And, and Paul is telling Timothy what to tell these, these Christians with some extra resources. Listen to what he says. Tell them to use their money to do good. They're extra. They've got what they need. Tell them to use it to, you, to, to do good. Watch this. To be rich in good works and generous to those, and say with me, in need. Always being ready to share with others. In other words, take care of yourself. Yes, God wants you to take care of yourself. But then, once you have that extra, I want you to think about those in need, those who, who actually are struggling. And then Paul says this, incredible, watch this. By doing this, by doing what? Sharing with others, being, being generous to those in need. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure. There it is, that's the word Jesus used. As a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. See, we have a life right now. And it's a version of life and it's earthly and it's temporary. But one day we will experience true life, which is eternal without cancer and death and without war, without rape, without murder, where Jesus will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and there'll be no Democrats and there'll be no Republicans. Anybody excited about that? <laughs> Not too many people, I'm excited about that. There'll be one government, it'll be a dictatorship underneath King Jesus. He will rule with righteousness and fairness. We won't have a concern at all. It'll be true life. And Paul says this, you know how you lay up treasures for that life, that next life, that you, where you'll live forever, forever under King Jesus? You help others. You help people. That's how you pay it forward. That's how you become rich in the next life. Why? Because people are eternal. In your notes, people are eternal. What is eternal? People. That's why at this church, we're always telling you about how we're investing in people. You just heard your campus pastor talk about Africa and how we're investing money to start schools and churches and with, uh, in a partnership with Africa New Life. Last month, we, we invested $10,000 into Haiti because they're, the, the ministry there, they're, they're struggling to eat and, and the whole situation. $26 for a gallon of gas, if they can even get a gallon. They can hardly eat. It's so crazy over in Haiti. We, our church, sent 10, not even close to enough money, but we did what we could. We sent $20,000 last month to Nicaragua because they had some crazy hurricane come through. We sent $10,000 down to Florida to help the hurricane down there. Where's that money come from? You. So you don't give to Emmanuel. You give through Emmanuel to do what? To touch other people who are in need, who need our help. Is this making sense? Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, Danny, I gotcha, I gotcha, because what you just said was pretty good, God owns it all, and I should dethrone money, and I should know what a wise investment is, but Paul told Timothy to talk to a bunch of people who had extra, and I don't have extra. So this whole sermon doesn't apply to me, because I don't have any money, and oh, by the way, have you seen the prices of food? Have you seen the price of gas? Have you seen, the pri have you seen what inflation has done? You're asking me to give, but I just don't have any extra. Can I just gently push back on you just for a second? 
when Paul was writing to, this, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, I started in verse 7 where he talked about excelling. I skipped verses 1 through 6. I want to go back to those verses because Paul's talking about this other group of churches in Macedonia and he's using them as an example to spur the Corinthian church to excel in generosity. But let's go back to that real quick. Verse one. He says to the Corinthian church, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. There's a collection of churches there. They're being tested by many troubles. They got lots of problems. And they are very, say it with me. So many of you think, man, I got my cell phone bill and I got to get, get my latte at Starbucks every day and I've got to pay my rent and I've got to, I don't have any extra to give to Emmanuel because I'm just poor. These guys were poor. These Christians in Macedonia. Not only were they were poor, they were very poor and they had lots of troubles. Watch what Paul says here next. But they were also filled with abundant joy because generosity produces joy which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than they could afford. What? So you're talking about people who've got lots of problems, who are very poor, but because of their joy, they're giving what they can, which is not much, and then they're going beyond what they can to help out the Christians in Jerusalem who were poorer than them. <laughs> And then Paul says this, and they did it of their own free will. In other words, I didn't force them, I didn't guilt them, I didn't coerce them, I didn't manipulate them, I didn't make them feel bad for not giving. These guys did it of their own free will. Not only did, it, did they do it of their own free will, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift of the believers of Jerusalem. This is an incredible statement. Listen to, what, listen to this. Basically, Paul is saying, that he approached the Macedonian churches and he was doing this collection for the, for the poor Christians in Jerusalem and he was, about to, he was about to just move through Macedonia and not ask them to help because he was looking at their poverty and he, and he, he probably had this feeling or this look on his face like, I can't ask you guys for money. You don't even have anything yourself and you got lots of problems. And he's about ready to move on to Corinth and go maybe raise some money in Corinth for the, for the believers in Jerusalem. And, and, and the Macedonians probably felt this and saw this and they're like, no, you can't leave us out of this opportunity. We're begging you, pass the place. We, we'll, we'll find something. Even if it's just a few dollars, we'll put it in because it's a privilege. Did you see it? It's a privilege to share our few dollars with our fellow believers who are in need. See, the thinking in America today is, I don't have any extra money, so giving is for the rich. Giving is a luxury of those who have extra. Giving is not for those of us who are just getting by. That is an unbiblical idea. The biblical idea is, generosity and giving is a privilege for the poor. It's an opportunity for everyone, middle school students, high school students, those very, very poor college students, <laughs> young 20-somethings that are trying to get started and paying off their college debt, 30-somethings who are trying to get their kids into sports and stuff like that, 40-somethings who are trying to save for retirement, 50-somethings who just, I don't know what 50-somethings do. 
golfing and stuff like that. <laughs> See, generosity is an all skate. Everybody's in. Rich, poor, middle, middle of the road, upper class. And when you see that, you'll start to understand, wow, this is an opportunity. This is a privilege I want to give. Jesus was uh, observing a situation in Mark chapter 12 where back in those days in the temple time at a service, everyone would get up during the giving time and they would all line up and they would have to come around and put their offering, their tithe in a box. And everybody watched everybody do it. Wouldn't that be fun if we did that today? <laughs> Most of you would walk out. I'm not doing this far. <laughs> uh, but that's the way they did it back then. And so Jesus is watching all these people get lined up and put their tithe in the box. And some of them wanted to be seen as extra generous, so they would actually cash in their larger bills and their larger coins for lots of smaller coins so that it looked like their bag was bigger. And then it made a larger sound when they would drop it in. It's like, look how generous I am, you know? And it's just kind of this crazy, crazy situation. So Jesus is watching this happen. Then he sees a young, uh, old, uh, old woman, a widow, she comes forward and she drops in two pennies, two mites, which are less than a penny. And he's watching this and then he calls his disciples over and this is what he says to them. Mark chapter 12, verse 43. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, which is not true. She only gave two mites. These guys were given Hundreds of dollars, a tenth of their income. It's not true that she gave more, or is it? What's Jesus really saying here? He's not talking about an amount. It's not the size of the gift that matters. It was the size of the sacrifice. She gave everything she had. These guys were given out of their abundance. Giving is not the privilege of the rich, a luxury for the, for the wealthy. It's the privilege of the poor. And God sees it no matter what the amount is. So many Emmanuel people come to church and give absolutely nothing, not even enough to cover your free coffee, which is not free. It's $80,000 a year to give free coffee across all of our campuses. At least cover your coffee with a reoccurring gift. What am I saying today? <clears throat> God's calling us to increase our giving, to excel in our giving. How do we do that? We do that by understanding he is the owner, we are the stewards. We do it by dethroning money from our heart, and we do it by understanding what a wise investment is in light of the fact that we're gonna live forever. My challenge to you last week was to have 400 families step up and give $25 a week or $100 a month. That would increase our offerings almost $500,000 a year. That would help us to launch a campus in Martinsville and maybe Mooresville after that. Right now, we're, 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 we just got our drawings back for our Seymour campus. This is what our Seymour campus is gonna look like. Uh, it's gonna be a $4 million project. We're gonna raise money for the end of the year towards this. I'm gonna ask you uh, to participate in that because when we build a campus, we touch people's lives. People's lives change forever 
in that community, incredible things start happening. Did you know since January, we've seen 482 people text saved to 65248? 480 people, that's unbelievable. We've seen 218 people get baptized. We've helped people in Kenya. We've helped people in Colombia. We just sent $14,000 to Shepherd Community downtown that's gonna, that's gonna feed over 200 kids over the Christmas break who would not otherwise eat food because school is closed. You did that. $14,000 we just sent them. We are constantly investing in people. So I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to text the word GIVE to 65248. And what you're going to get back is a link to set up a gift. And again, it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the sacrifice. After the sermon last week, um, my wife said, I, I asked her, I said, how did you think that the talk went? And I like to ask her that. And she tells me the truth and, you know, so that my head doesn't get real, real too big. Um, and she said it was good. And we had some conversation about it. And then she said this to me and I, it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, she said, so, you know, what, what do you think we should do? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you talked about giving, you talked about joy and favor and all this stuff, and maybe, maybe we should give more. And I'm like, we already give 10%, we already, and then we go past that sometimes and give more. What, 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 that sermon wasn't for us. <laughs> Gosh, I was preaching to the people. Not my best moment, folks. Not, not my best moment. So, I, you know, I, honestly, I was kind of agitated. I was like, I just didn't want to talk about that, you know? And uh, so I, did, I just kind of shut the conversation down and, and didn't bring it up again and, and, until yesterday. And, and I, I had been thinking about it for the week. And so I, I, I talked with Jackie yesterday and I said, well, you know, I asked everybody to do $25 a week which, or $100 a month. And I think, I think that would be on top of what we already do, that would be good. To be just maybe we'll start there. And so she, she said, "Well, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Um, but I was thinking we should do more. I was like, okay. She said, these are her words. She said, well, it doesn't hurt. I was like, who said anything about hurting? And so that's where the conversation is right now as we speak. <laughs> So we're going to do the $25 extra a week and because I want you to know. I want you to know I'm never going to ask you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. Why? Because I believe our church is changing the, the world. I really do. We're seeing people come to Christ and grow in Christ. We're going to baptize some folks right, right now. It's going to be awesome. You're going to see their, baptism is a picture of life change. Someone dying to their old way of living, coming up to, a, to, to follow Christ, clean, fresh, forgiven. We're touching people's lives like Kate. You're about to hear Kate's story. Kate ran into someone at our church. Conversation led to an invitation. That invitation led to her inviting her fiance. And well, I'll just let Kate tell the story. This is what you're investing in. Hey, before we go and get in our cars and wait in line, you can see those, those who don't want to wait in line are, are leaving already. Let's just all stare at them real quick. <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing. I know everybody's got to get out of here. Hey, before you go, I know that in a, in a, in a space like this, um, there's just a few of you that uh, God's Spirit's been working on. And you've been listening to me talk, and you heard Kate's story about her fiancé, now husband, and you saw some baptisms here, and, and God's been working on your heart.
And maybe a few moments ago when I was talking about um, how you were made to worship and you're gonna put something on the throne of your heart. It could be money, it could be a person, a child, a career. That spot in your heart was designed for Jesus. And the folks that just got baptized or they made a decision to put him in that place. And today they were saying, I'm done with my old life. That's kind of the symbolism of the baptism. I've died to that old way of living, of selfishness for myself. And I'm coming back up out of the water, brand new, with a new purpose, a new life, with Jesus on the throne of my heart. And perhaps today, that came clear to you. Like, that's what you need. You don't need religion. You don't need church. I like our church, but this is just a building. What you need is Jesus Christ. Who you need is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of your heart. He's the only one that can answer the questions of your soul. He's the only one that can satisfy the desires of your soul. He's the only one that can answer the questions of life. And he's the only one who can save your soul from sin. He died on the cross for you, paid the penalty for your sin so that you could be forgiven and receive eternal life and live with him forever. And maybe all of that is just working right now in your mind and heart and it's clear. And this moment is designed for you to reach out to Jesus and ask him to be your savior. Not join a church, not start giving your money, but to ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and to be your savior. If that's where you're at right now, maybe it's only four, five, six, ten of you. This is your moment. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? To say this to Jesus. Jesus, I ask you right now to be my savior. I know I've blown it, I've sinned broken your laws, and I know I'm guilty. But I believe you died in my place to pay for that sin, to wash away the guilt and the shame and the penalty held against me. And I believe you did it because you love me. I ask you to be my savior today. Wash my soul, cleanse my my mind, remove the guilt and the shame. Fill me with your spirit. I trust you. I put my faith in you, my confidence, my hope in you, Jesus. From this day forward, teach me. Show me the path of life. Show me what to do, what to say, how to think how to live so that my life will honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, the rest of us would love to celebrate with you, wouldn't we, guys? Come on, nice and loud. Amen. You heard in Kate's video that when her fiance uh, was sitting in his seat. She was like, what's going on? What he was doing was texting the word save to 65248 to receive this box. We call it our save box. Inside this box, there is a Bible as a gift to you. 
with a reading plan. There's some information about our church, baptism, and also a coffee mug in here to say congratulations. So if you just prayed that prayer, whether you're watching online, you're here at Greenwood, text the word SAVE to 65248. We'll get one of these in your hand. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed to our local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to excel in the gracious act of giving. You own it all, God. Our hearts were designed for, to worship you and you only. And God, the wisest investments that we can make are eternal ones. Investments into people, helping people in need. Give us the wisdom to excel in generosity. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to dismiss things to the local teams.